Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Potomaro in game, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going, Hats? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, Potomaru? I'm doing all right. Um, you ready for the big draft championship coming up? I am not, but I am going to play in it, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, you have a, a whole other week to prepare, so... I, I would suggest maybe you listen to this episode because we're going to be talking, it's going to be like a primer for the draft championship and the things you should be doing in this format. So it might be really helpful in your quest to get top four. My, me? My quest to get top four? Yeah, well, or right, the so listeners. Oh, well, Good. no, yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to try to get top four, but it is... I know, but... but it's I'm saying definitely you... a strange thing to tell me to listen to the episode where I'm going to be speaking. <laughs> well, no, well, you said you were a little lost in the format, and I said uh-huh. this show is about clearing up what we should be doing in this format. So it might be good to listen to to help well, clear up. I'll, I'll listen. I'll listen to it as we speak, and then uh, and see if I, uh, I get any tips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So this is a great. This is a great start to this. <laughs> this is terrific. <laughs> yeah. Also, my my plan for those of you who don't know. Oh, hello, honey. So this you gonna do it the first time through? So you don't have to edit Exactly. Yeah. She. That's right on. So my plan for this episode is to have no mess ups, so I don't have to do any editing. So we can just I can release it tomorrow, so it'll be out before Saturday. Um, so everyone, including Hats, um, could listen to the episode before <laughs> their qualifying runs and get some great tips going into, you know, the draft championship because it's the first of its kind in Eternal. We're all uh, very excited about it. Yeah, excited is maybe uh, oh, is maybe not exactly about how I feel about it, but I'm more resigned at this point because for months I have been getting into the high ranks of masters so that I would qualify for day two and not have to do the preliminaries. Mission accomplished. I'm doing it. Now I feel like I have to play in it because why else did I do all that? <laughs> exactly. For sure the honor of nice the show. I, sure would have been nice if I knew when it was going to be earlier so it wouldn't be right in the middle of my vacation or rather right at the end when I'm going to be mostly thinking about packing. But hey... <laughs> that's how that's how dire wolf do it's very true mm. but um yeah so i think okay well i i said everything i wanted to say that uh this episode is going out early we're going to do it in one take there's going to be no outtakes i'm not going to say anything stupid that i'll need to get cut it's just going to be a perfect clean package and, and i'm um, not going to say anything at all <laughs> No, hopefully you're going to say everything. The plan was for you to say everything and for me to not say anything. Let me, let me go back and say I'm going to say everything. <laughs> now I'm on board. And none of this is a blooper or will be cut from the episode. <laughs> uh, an unfortunately true statement. Um, <laughs> it's episode 68. For those of you tuning in for the first time, you're probably wondering what's happening right now. Well, let me tell you. We are a draft-focused podcast, and our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. 
and we get into the nitty gritty gritty of the drafting process <laughs> analysis and play tips thrown in <laughs> so so this week is uh draft format <laughs> that's just losing it which is not helping me <laughs> I, I don't know what Hatch's excuse is so this is one more aside but I went camping in our backyard with my uh, two kids the last two nights and got nearly zero sleep, which is why I'm a little punchy and maybe delirious. But um, and I was uh, I was really hoping Cat Hats would carry me through this episode, but so no, far it's not only managed happen. to derail me. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But this week's episode is going to be like a really tight package as we focus in on a draft format primer for those of you preparing for the draft championship. So let's get right to it. So how was your draft week, Hal? My draft week was a little bit rocky. I have been more or less trying to practice for the championship, which means that I've been open to experimenting a little bit, trying to figure out what kind of decks actually seem to be succeeding um, and being willing to try things that I haven't before because I, uh, as, I, as I may have conveyed pre on previous episodes, uh, the new format with the, 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 the revamped uh, uh, curated draft packs for packs two and three is a very different animal than, than the last one. I, I think it's a much swingier format with a much bigger difference in card quality uh, for the average card than there was before, uh, which means that it's difficult to draft in a consistent way, in my opinion. Uh, maybe other people are having better luck than me. So I've been struggling. I've had some seven wins, and there de definitely has been a trend to the seven win decks that I've been able to put together. So um, I will share what I've learned uh, in, in bits and nuggets throughout the episode. Um, but I, I do want to say that it might not apply to everyone because my style of play may very well be unique to me because I'm not seeing other people doing the same things as I'm doing necessarily. And I don't think, and there's things people are doing that are working against me that I haven't been able to work myself. So uh, it's just, I'm no expert right now, but uh, you know some stuff is working better for me than others. So I'll you know I'll share. That's how it's going. It's difficult to describe. How's your draft week been going? My draft week had actually has been pretty pretty good. I've been kind of drafting these bigger time decks, sort of ending with Omen Scar, playing a lot of disappears, and suddenly been having success with them despite sort of earlier in the format being run over by fire decks all the time and um so that was kind of fun and i was kind of like excited to explore this sort of these new aspect of the format to me because you know early before the changes i had been having so much luck with stone scar but after the changes I don't know if I was soft avoiding fire. I just felt like I wasn't getting into it as much. And then with the draft pack changes, it just felt so hard to get 
like some of the key pieces for that stone scar deck or like cards that I wanted to play that I and I sort of stopped drafting those decks and then um especially primal primal feels like you actually can get reasonable cards in the draft packs and it's always open and time has also been really open for me I don't understand why cuz I feel like time didn't get that hurt with the changes. I mean, there's some clunkers, but you also got a couple good cards added at 10 times in time uh, with the 2-1 the influence guy. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Name? People, the, oh, the 2-1 uh, the influence guy? I don't know. I mean, I would have... Trailmaker, Trailmaker. Trailmaker, yeah, Trailmaker. Uh, no, it's an excellent card, and it kind of enables a lot of things that weren't really possible um, before they put it at, at 10 times weight. Like, you know, three. it makes, makes three-color decks a lot easier if your base faction is time, so. Yes. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is this kind of, we'll talk about this in the seven-win segment, but it's weirdly backed up in the data. Like, time really, time was the biggest loser as far as, like, showing up in our seven win decks from pre pre changes to post changes because it was one of the top colors and now it's like the third or fourth best color yeah wow. interesting yeah i think there's a certain amount of skewed results right now because people do have the draft draft championships on their mind um and so they're uh, I feel like people are forcing things a little bit more often. Like, I'll mm -hmm. see some weird, like... Like, I'm seeing Mono Fire a lot more now than I have been. Uh, even though Mono... I don't think Mono Fire is particularly good right now. But I think it feels very powerful when it's working. And it was so good at the very beginning uh, when Argent Depths was released that it feels like maybe the most reliable thing to practice with when you're preparing for a championship. Um uh, like there was a whole period there where people weren't really doing mono fire anymore because they sort of figured that it was they figured out that it was a little inconsistent, um, and if you got cut, it hurt you too badly to be trying to draft mono. But now I'm seeing mono uh, again. Uh, I'm not seeing mono justice anymore, and I uh, you would think you would be seeing that as well. Um, and I'm not seeing like any other mono at all really, although they pop up, but very rarely. Uh, but mono fire all the time, and then I don't know. Uh, I think it's uh, I, like I think it's a very strong deck still when it comes together, but it's more inconsistent than ever. So I think that may be more of a like, well, I'm just going to take a chance. Uh, if mono fire is open, then I'm going to have the best possible deck, uh, and if it's not, oh well. <laughs> yeah. But I think one of, you know, we talked about this pre-show that my last draft was a mono fire deck and it felt really open, but I just didn't see like the best cards, you know, like I didn't see any of the fire removal. And then in the draft packs, like mono fire can be, you know, I got a couple fire conjurings, but then so many of the boosted cards are just so bad in fire. Like, how many 2-1s with charge can you play in your mono fire deck and be happy? It, like, everything in this format brickwalls it. Yeah. 
Yeah, the yeah the blazing renegade isn't good, and then all of all of the other fire units are are like uh, are huge. You know, like I think the five two for four is probably the best one in the draft packs. That's sort of because it's just a little cheaper than the others. But then there's then there's the the five three overwhelm for five, uh, and that's a fine card, but you don't want to pack your deck with them. And then bizarrely, uh, the six three vanilla for five is also i think at five times weight and so you can you can get all the three health <laughs> like high strength units you want in fire except you don't want you don't want five drops because all of your good spells are five drops from packs one and two uh you know you want to be able to play a dark fire or a gun down i guess that's from packs two and three which i, I think gun down is still at five times because they still see them pretty often i'm not actually actually sure about that anyway uh but you want to be able to cast uh you don't necessarily want to be just sort of making a big unit on five you want to be sort of backing up your cheap aggressive units that you're already making so having to put down a big clunky unit on turn five um really slows down the fire decks they're fine they're fine units but uh i I do think it makes the that whole concept of the deck a lot weaker yeah, I feel like you just have to get 24 good cards in pack one and four, and then yeah, hope to make it out of pack sort of three. If you're doing if you're doing mono fire, you kind of do. There's not much else there. Okay, on to our announcements, um, where we plug our Patreon over at Patreon.com/farmingeternal, where for as little as a dollar a month, um, you can help support the show and keep it going. So, uh, this month we've got. Two new patrons, uh, Loki Trickster and Cotillion. Yay. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much. Um, and I apologize to Loki Trickster because they had actually joined the Patreon way earlier in the month and I had missed their name. And then I guess to remind me that I missed their name, they upped their pledge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, which I did notice. And uh, so, yeah, so thank you very much, Loki Trickster um, and Cotillion for joining the Patreon. We really appreciate it. But thank you to our veteran patrons, Sigma Tank, Mercurio Blue, Abidnego, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hacks, Cassandrith, Jed the Homerid, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout. Thank you to all of you, and also it's great to see you uh, on the draft ladder when uh, when I see when I see your name across the table. That's always a lot of fun to see somebody that I recognize from the list. <laughs> it is. I love it. No, I agree. I 100% agree. It was like actually very, yeah, it was very exciting because uh, you know I called out Loki Trickster and Sigma Take recently. And, Listeners of the week because they had friended me in game, and so it's really cool that they're supporting the show, friending me in game. Um, always important, and uh, yeah, so much appreciated. And um, speaking of friending me in game, um, my wife wanted me to say that she is in fact not doing everything in her power to end the show. She has she, multiple in fact, interests, and ending the show is only one of them. <laughs> <laughs> there are, it turns out there are many, many more things she could do. <laughs> if she were to pull, put her full 
full we've really only time. we've really only scratched the surface here of exactly. the sabotage surface all right so and then in a huge change up of our usual format um we usually do a card of the week but this week uh spiffy man asked a question in discord and we thought we'd just touch on it um quickly here since he did take the time to ask the question and then maybe if we don't say everything we wanted to say maybe we'll expand this to at a later date to a full show. So what did Spiffy Man want to know, Hats? Well, Spiffy Man had, I believe, a league deck that had uh, that had a, a lot of removal, um, a lot of removal cards, and was a little confused about how to build the deck. Like, if you have a lot of removal, does that mean you should play, uh, try to, uh, that you should play or try to build a more aggressive deck so that your removal can help you get damage in or should you play a more controlling deck so that your removal is um uh helps in your overall plan of controlling the board and uh and then and then winning with an evasive unit or one large unit or something like that um and i'm not a hundred percent prepared to answer these questions i think it's actually kind of a difficult question but uh, uh, Spiffy Man asked uh, a handful of more specific questions, so I'll just sort of give a give it a stab, you know, put a stab at it, whatever the phrase is, <laughs> stab into it, <laughs> give it a stab. Nope, I don't know what. Boy, <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know what's going on in my brain right now, but I don't remember the idiom. Anyway, I'll stab it. So one of the things that Spiffy Man asks is, is just in general how to use and think about removal when building a deck, and I do think that I have kind of a very general answer to this, um, which is to more or less think of removal as part of your overall curve. Because the removal is for dealing, uh, rather than putting something uh, of your own onto the board and adding to your own board presence, you're removing some of your opponent's board presence. Um, and I think if you have a lot of cheap removal then uh then in general you're going to be able that's going to be uh, a way of controlling the board early so that your later units won't have to deal with as many like like you won't get run over early and then you'll take over uh later on and if you have a lot of expensive removal then you tend to be able to establish a board presence with your cheap aggressive units uh, early and then be able to take down any large blockers with your expensive removal later in the game. In general, I think that's how it works in my mind, is that if you have expensive removal, it helps support your cheaper, uh, a more aggressive strategy. And if you have cheaper removal, then it helps support um, a more controlling strategy. But of course, cheap removal also can help you get uh, damage in, like with a chemical rounds or something. Uh, it's nice to be able to get rid of a cheap blocker. It's complicated, is uh, is basically what I'm saying. But as a general rule of thumb, try to work it into the overall curve of your deck. If you've got nothing but cheap cards, that means eventually your opponent's cards are going to start overpowering you. So if you go for a very aggressive deck, unless it's built very skillfully and you have nothing but cheap units and nothing but cheap removal, all your opponent has to do is play one large blocker to completely shut you down. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's actually one of the things I've always had the most trouble with is 
what to do when you get like hooked up with a ton of cheap fire removal. Mm-hmm. You know, like like in the last format with like sears or you know when you, or like a pillage. It's uncommon in this format, but you know sometimes it's the three damage for three is that common. And then you're like, well, I have four of these, you know, three damage spells. And then you're like, am I? And they're all in fire, which tends to be aggressive in Eternal. And so you're like, well, so am I an aggressive deck with this cheap removal? Or am I con- do I try to build the controlling deck out of this base, but I'm in fire, which doesn't tend to lend itself to a controlling deck? And I, I always... It, I, it never works as well for me as it feels like it should. When you're just like, oh, fire's so open. I'm getting all this like great damage, all these great damage spells, and then I end up feeling like I have an incoherent deck at the end. You can, and you can easily end up if you're try- if you also have a whole bunch of two drops, um, and then you have all of this like cheap removal. You can just end up without a lot of strength in your deck because your curve goes up to nothing. You know, I mean, you can play fewer power, but there's a limit to how much power you can shape from your deck. Uh, legally, you can only you, you can't take it below fifteen. <laughs> so. Um, so you can easily end up in a situation where you have a lot of cheap units and you have a lot of cheap removal, and then you end up having to two-for-one yourself in order to break through blockers. Uh, especially in this format, you can come up against something like a caravan guard that can easily soak up two of your cards and put a halt to your entire game plan. Seer is a little bit of a special case because it can go to your opponent's face, which means that it is stronger in an aggressive deck a lot of the time. Um, because it it doubles as reach and as creature removal. Mm-hmm. Um, but another th- another way to think of anything that is a fast spell that is removal is that it, it tends to be better in um, it, it tends to be better in a more controlling deck because uh, you're going to have larger units that might get double blocked and then you can remove one of the units and kill the other with your larger unit. Like that's a thing that's going to happen more often if you're trying to attack with bigger units over a longer period of time. Um, with slow removal, I, slow removal in general lends itself to a more aggressive deck because you're going to do it on your turn before you attack and there's no point in trying to, sur- to surprise your opponent because uh, your game plan is to always have more board presence and attack. And that also kind of uh, segues into Relic Weapons, which Spiffy Man also talked about. Um, I tend to think that Relic Weapons are better in aggressive decks because for that same reason, because you play them, you get rid of a blocker, you attack with whatever you need to attack with. There's no way that you can really um, respond to what your opponent is doing with a Relic Weapon. Uh, there's some relic weapons that are so good that, uh, like the relic weapons that have very high uh, stru- uh, armor, um, can be used in a more contr- in a slower deck because then you're going for the card advantage and you want to be able to kill more than one thing with them. But the relic weapons that tend to have very high strength and low armor better in aggressive decks because those are the ones where you don't really care if it sticks around you just want to get rid of the blocker so that you can do more damage yeah in general there's always exceptions to these things and some cards are just 
strong or weak, uh, depending on, on what you're doing. But we are going for rules of thumb here. Yeah. I think the other thing um, that I, I wanted to point out is, you know, he talked about, like, removal in a controlling deck. And I, I still, one of the things I struggle with is just, like, what does a controlling deck mean in Eternal in draft? In the broadest terms, a controlling deck is trying to prolong the game and produce card advantage by having higher average quality cards than your opponent so that mm -hmm. your 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 um your one card drop per turn is more valuable to you than than your opponent's one card drop per turn yeah. uh that's the main difference is that you're actively trying to make the game go as long as possible because uh, your cards, your be your betting will be better than your opponent's cards on a one-for-one -one basis. Yeah, I guess because when I hear controlling deck, I kind of think of, you know, a lot of draft formats and magic support, you know, especially in like blue-black, uh, like a 9-10 removal spell and counter spell control deck that just has like a few unit finishers. And Eternal doesn't really have a deck like that. Like, I think in Eternal, more than Magic, you can definitely play too many removal spells because you just, you, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's the finishers aren't as good or just the units. You need more units than you do in Magic, but there's just, it feels like that kind of control archetype, archetype no, is not supported. I've never seen anything thing that's like that. I think the closest thing would be the Relic Weapon Recursion deck from the last format, which yeah. was a very controlling deck. Um, but uh, but it didn't usually have that many removal spells in it. It was just trying to play a long game, and then its win condition was incredibly slow but effective. Yes. Um, so I think that counts, but it, it nothing like that sort of counterspell... Uh, removal kind of yeah magic the gathering draft deck that sometimes exists at all but um if you're following the general philosophy of your cards may be slower but they um but they're worth more then you can play a card like caravan guard which is a three five for three and because you're not worried about attacking it's ability it's uh it's text doesn't matter it has to have five justice in order to attack but since you are playing it entirely to be better than your opponent's aggressive cards, that doesn't matter. Um, so that's part of it. You play the Caravan Guard and your opponent probably has to use two cards to deal with your one Caravan Guard. Mm -hmm. You play, um, you know, you play an Ancient Serpent and you're getting back a card with that and your opponent has to deal with the 3-4 Flyer. You know, all of your cards are slower, but they take up a lot of your opponent's resources to deal with and over the course of the game the sheer attrition grinds them down that's that's how control works in eternal um and then the point of an aggressive deck is to keep your opponent's strategies that are like that from working because they're already dead before they start getting the value from their higher quality cards that's the general um dynamic I mean, it's it's true for Magic and it's true for Eternal. It's the same basic thing, but you just don't have the cards to be able to play a pure control in the traditional Magic the Gathering kind of sense. Because, I mean, you can't count counter units anyway. 
Yeah, you can't counter units anyway. Yeah, and I guess I, I kind of bring it up um, sort of just to mention that, and I don't I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like in Eternal, you can have too many removal spells. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. And, yeah, I start cutting removal spells. As great as removal is, I'll cut removal spells if I feel like I have too many and I don't have enough things to units to put on the ground because units kind of operate like removal if they stop your opponent from attacking. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like the like the zero five for two uh, that can draw spells is fantastic in this format if you want to slow the game down because it's very hard to attack through. Yeah. Yeah. That might as well be a removal spell. Yeah. Yeah, and then the final thing I want to say is, man, doesn't Shugo Hooksword feel even worse in this format? To you leave? mean? When your opponent plays to? it. Oh, 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 I see a Shugo's Hooked Sword and I'm just done. Because for one thing, I'm not playing Relic Removal in my in my deck, probably. So yeah. so then it's just like, oh, I got a bunch of two twos to deal with, and there's really no way to kill that thing. So yeah, I guess I'm I guess I'm dead. I played against somebody who had two Shugo's Hooked Swords, and they got both of them off of a blade crafter. And I was <laughs> like, Well, well done. I'm not, I can't do anything about that. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then my uh, the other question play is Smogwing first. Yeah, 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 and then that's what a seven nine that makes a unit every time it hits. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. At least in the um, last format, you you knew you you know your blown opponent played Creation Power, and you're like, oh, in by turn seven, I'm probably going to lose this game. But you you had multiple turns to mentally prepare yourself for it. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way to know that Shugo's Hooked Sword is coming now. So I have not yet had an Edge of Prophecy played against me in this format. I've seen them go by, and I'm never actually in creation to play the thing, and also it's harder to bring them back. But uh, but I've had Shugo's Hooked Sword played against me for sure, and it is it does not feel good. Yeah, As There are a lot of ways to, to make armor, so sometimes those, those relic weapons come out and it just feels impossible. I had someone start out with a Noble Protector, which is the one two for one that makes two armor, and then immediately follow it with the, uh, with the four four weapon that sacrifices a unit. And I was like, how do I deal with a turn two, four, six <laughs> relic weapon? How do I, what do I do? I was just sort of like put out sacrificial units for a few turns and I was like, I don't know what I was <laughs> What's going to happen to me? Now as that soon I as I saw the Noble Protector. Two, I guess we can yeah. really start playing. <laughs> yes, so. Um, yeah, as soon as I saw the Noble Protector come down in the hands of someone, of, of, of a name that I recognized on the draft ladder, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to lose. If they're putting Noble Protector in their deck, there's a good reason. And I'm, I'm not going to... Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do anything. They're going outside of the usual strategy to just gamble on this noble protector thing so i did i expected to lose on turn three when the siphoner paladin came down but instead i lost much earlier <laughs> um by the way the other question that spiffy man asks is should you be going for card draw if you have a lot of removal um and i understand that that, that question uh for one thing i don't know how you go for card draw in eternal because there's like one card that actually draws cards but if you do have the option to go for card draw, uh, then I don't think it has to, much to do with whether you have removal or not. I think it has more to do with uh, whether 
you are ending up with a more aggressive or a more controlling deck. Because if you have uh, a card draw is is better if you're going for an overall plan of uh, slowing the game down a little bit and getting value out of your cards. Um, and it's less important if you are going to be attacking a lot. However, in Eternal, you kind of want to have a certain amount of card draw in every deck. And I don't think that changes based on how much removal you have, except that you don't want to have too many. I mean, you still want to have a certain number of units most of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you have a bunch of card draw spells and a bunch of removal, then you're not you're not asking questions of your opponent very often at that point. You know, you're not saying, hey, can you deal with this ever? You're just playing entirely reflexively and, and uh, you'll you'll run out of steam uh, at a certain point because your opponent will simply keep on going. Can you deal with this? Can you deal with this? And eventually, you're you're not going to be able to deal with it, no matter how much you draw and how many things you kill. Especially because Eternal doesn't really give you the the tools to just fill your entire deck with card draw and removal. Yes. All right. Well, I think that was a pretty good quick <laughs> quick summary of yeah close quick yeah. questions. So uh, thank you for taking the time to ask these questions, Pikmin. We really appreciate it. And if anyone else is interested in hearing their questions answered on the show, uh, we might uh, replace Card of the Week again and do that, because that I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, me too. All right, so we'll move on to our seven-win run breakdown. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is our data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners email us their seven-win drafts to farmingeternal at gmail.com or post them in the seven wind channel of the Farming Eternal Discord in either exported deck lists or any kind of Eternal War Cry link. And then we take this information, compile it into a spreadsheet, and talk about it. And uh, for things like now with the draft championship come up, I think it's like especially um, important. And so we like to thank everyone who has contributed and John Holio for entering all the lists. So our new contributors this week are Reprieved, 2112, and then our veteran contributors are Avid Nago, Agent Dynamo, um, Brabochoke, Brantar, Collector, Cotillion, Darth Herman 2, D Dubs, Dubes, Gatasujo, Grandar, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long No, Iris M, Jandy, Jed the Hamred, Jose Carlos 2121, Julian, Loki Trickster, Mancio 1982, Meagles, Mercurial Blue, um, Meverzi, Nothership, Olrich, Parmalee, Patamaru, Shab, Sigma Tank, Spiro, SSJ, 1997, Sunblaze, Surf Wizard, Tempest Dragon King, Titus and Blossom, Twin Hex, Vader, Zethilaren, and Yistow. Um, yeah. And the one other thing I wanted to mention before we kind of talk about some of the things we are seeing in the new draft format is... Um, because on Saturday, uh, some of the, a whole bunch of the best drafters in Eternal are all going to be doing uh, three drafts in a 12-hour period. Uh, Jed the Hummerd and I uh, worked on a survey, and by we, I mean he made a survey and I told him he should make it. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> We approve of Jed's survey. <laughs> And um, and all it all it does is it asks you what factions you drafted for each of your three drafts and what your record is. And so if all two or three hundred people answer the survey, 
then you know we essentially have 600 drafts taken in a 12-hour period that we can kind of figure out what decks we're doing well. So we're going to have a link to it on the Discord, and I'm going to make a Reddit post uh, tomorrow asking people to fill out the survey. It'll only take, you know, it's just two questions for all th each of your drafts, so it's pretty easy to fill out. So thought that might be kind of a, a cool, you know, this we've never had something like this where we had an opportunity to get that much data at once. So yeah, so that's cool. Try to seize the moment. Think of all the data. Yeah. All right. And then um, sort of talking about the deck lists that we've received since the format change, we've received a little over 100 decks. And kind of I wanted to point out just like a comparison to the last format so we can, you know, if you've drafted a lot pre-draft pre pack changes, figure out what's changing. So uh, the first thing is the number one color right now is Justice, which is in 47% of the decks. And this percentage is actually similar to what it was, where Justice was one of the top colors before. But right around... 45 to 47 was also time and fire in the previous format. And those two colors have fallen precipitously. And so now justice is the number one color in 47% of the decks, while the other four colors, um, time, justice, fire, primal, and wait, I take that back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> fire, time, primal, and shadow are all in the 30s. So quite quite a big gap between Justice and the other four colors. And then the other four colors are all bunched up in the 30s, um, with fire being slightly more prevalent than the other colors. So okay. that's one thing to note, is Justice seems to be doing a lot better than the other four colors. Um, and then the other thing to note is time is sort of the biggest loser. And it, it, it was the number one or two color before, kind of fighting it out with Justice, and now it is solidly, it's the fourth best color behind both fire and shadow, um, as far as appearances in deck lists go. Then the other big change is in the previous format, uh, the number one um, faction pairing was Rakano, and it has been replaced with Huru. So Huru is now in 18% of our decks that we've received of the new format are Huru decks. So it's doing really well, which is similar to what Rakano was in the previous format. Um, and it's followed then by Rakano being number two, Stonescar number three, Xenon number four, and Cambrai number five. Um, so it's like a similar mix, except um, from the previous format, except Huru is now the number one deck. Uh, so the biggest winner is Huru, which used to be in 8% of the decks and is now in 18% of the decks. And the biggest loser is Praxis, which used to be 11% of decks and now is 6% of decks. Um, so just two things to note, kind of um, the makeup of decks that we're seeing. Yeah, the, this makes sense to me. And of course, I have been drafting Huru a fair amount lately and, and having pretty consistent success with it. The The last 7-win deck that I posted was a 7-1 Huru deck that had absolutely nothing special about it. It 
had some real filler cards. Like I was playing the two five for four Injustice, and just some sort of like uh, I had three copies of the of the one three Warcry Minotaur. Um, just sort of because I just sort of needed cards to play. <laughs> um, uh, I didn't have the it wasn't really particularly open Huru in this draft, uh, but I sort of committed to it a little bit too early and, and just and just stuck with it. So I would have enough playables. I barely had enough playables. I was splashing fire for the the two for Rakano uh, with Warcry uh, Uncommon. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, it's a uh, it's a two for with Warcry for four, it's in Rakano, and when it attacks, uh, whenever anything with Warcry attacks, you get one armor, so it kind of gains you life. And since I had the three Minotaurs, uh, the the three one three Minotaurs, then uh, it was fine. But normally you don't want to splash for like a unit. Um, and anyway, the point is that it went seven one without anything special in it because Huru's inherent strength is that good. You know, I had a Water Conjuring, which sometimes was just was broken because it would invoke something ridiculous um and that was enough to save me from multiple like game ending bombs because i could water conjuring into like uh a polymorph to deal with an opposing marizo or something like that and uh and it just sort of controls the board huru hasn't been hit as hard by the draft pack changes as any of the other colors Primal got significantly better because it got Changey Stick. Mischief Yeti is a playable one drop. Um, and most of the other commons that you can get in Primal in the draft packs, at least, are reasonably good. And also, it's open a lot because the Primal cards in pack one are so bad uh, still. <laughs> and people don't want to get into Primal. Um, but if you know what's going on, uh, you can get into Primal in the first pack and then get hooked up in packs two and three fairly consistently. So, uh, yeah, so Huru just sort of wasn't nerfed and maybe even got better. So it's not a surprise to me that it's in the lead now. Although I may be personally skewing the results of, of uh, the seven win de deck lists a little bit since I think I've contributed like four of them <laughs> since the beginning of the format. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, you definitely contributed a lot, but you know we've had oh geez, um, nineteen Huru decks. Oh yeah, that's plenty. Yeah, out of a hundred and ten decks, you know, so it's like quite quite a few Huru decks. Yeah, um, yeah, you yeah. get the ability to stun your opponent's units, which is a nice way of dealing with bombs if you're playing an aggressive deck, you know. Like that, the swinginess of the of your opponent's card quality, you can kind of take care of it because you've got that stun ability. Um, having Geralt's Frost Kennedy either five times or ten times, whatever it's at right now in the draft packs, uh, is is makes it so that Primal is sort of always pretty good. Yeah, and I think your analysis is correct, and is kind of my instincts is like based based on this data, like. Justice is the best color. It's been our most winning links color since Argent Depths came out. And then Primal got a lot better, but is still ridiculously underdrafted. And so you combine the two colors and you can just, it's a deck that allows you to consistently make a good deck out of it. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think it is, can be a hard deck to play well because while primal did get better 
a lot of its cards are still kind of weird and finicky. Um, yeah, you're not playing all of the primal commons in your Huru deck. You know, you're, yeah. you're looking for specific ones. Yeah, and there's just, like, tricky cards. You know, like, I think Frost is just, like, a tricky card to play well. You, you know, because it's, like, you stun a single unit. You got to know when you're just, like, I to use it well. As compared to, like, a card like Wind Conjuring or Flash Freeze, where you're just, like, I use this to stun two units and win the game. You know, I think a card like Frost is harder to know because you're not necessarily always using it to just win the game. Um, so I don't know. I, I just find Primal has a lot of cards like that. That Yeah, it does. And I think that's part of why I enjoy playing it is that I can win games that it doesn't look like I have any right to win because mm-hmm. um, I'll use a Frost at exactly the right time. Um, and I don't always get it right, but uh, there, I get it right enough times that it's uh, that it feels like a, a a type of deck that that meshes well with my play style. So, because I'm, I'm I like to be looking ahead a couple of turns to like how can I win this game three turns from now rather than you know like how can I just make the board state really good after this turn? And yeah. Huru is really good for that. Because you you can you have those like fast spells like frost to s- sort of uh, to to control the board over multiple turns because you can kind of see what your opponent is capable of and take advantage of it um, and then sort of count up damage to be able to do exact damage in the air over the course of a couple of turns or like stun something at the right time to get that last bit of damage through. There's there's a lot of planning ahead and that's that kind of the way I like to play Eternal. Yes. The raw and, power of the cards is definitely part of it, though. Just having access to all those great justice commons in both packs is, is a big part of why it's good. And, yeah. And the other card, um, I kind of wanted to plug, um, and this pains me to say, but the Misplay podcast, uh, <laughs> because in their late, latest episode, uh, in Act 2, and I would skip directly to Act 2, um, they talk about using plunder effectively and the huru deck kind of makes me makes me think of that because when you're playing primal you know like i feel like shifting illusion is like one of the hardest cards for me to figure out how to play because i just never know if i should just play it as a one mana one one and not try to get value out of it or whether i should hold it to get value out of it but then you're like missing out on like a potentially a large amount of damage of just pinging in one damage a turn. It's like, I yeah, know. I think the easiest, I think the easiest rule of thumb for shifting illusion is don't pick it or play it. Yeah, I, like that's like it's fine because it does have plunder, so it's not a terrible top deck as long as you keep a sigil in your hand. But also, it's not one of the cards I'm looking for if I'm playing Huru. Okay. Because it doesn't have enough impact on its own. Like, I would rather swing big for a couple of turns than peck away for several turns. Okay. So you're not, even though it has plunder, you're not picking. Not not since Bouldergate Guard got plunder. Am I looking? Yeah. I would rather have Bouldergate Guard in that deck. Because it does two damage per turn and blocks really well at the beginning of the game. Yeah. Bouldergate Bat is just a. Or Bouldergate, what is it called? Guard. It's a Bouldergate Boulder guard. Boulder Gate guard is just like a better, helpful doorbat 
Yeah, it's like a doorbot. Uh, oh, see, yeah, oh it has, my gosh, you already forgot last episode. Uh, it was two. Well, it was two weeks ago, and I can't remember. Ago. It's fine. What happened For all of those who listened ago, to so. it when I released it just three days ago, you'll get that joke. Right. I didn't get that joke. I don't get jokes. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, the other thing related to last episode that I wanted to mention is um, last episode you poo pooed my PSA about um, playing your cards in the right order when I talked about how Epic Candyman um, had a Might Weaver in play and then teleported, attacked, I blocked. He teleported my unit, and then he played Rampage, and then it did zero damage because it exhausted when he teleported my unit. Mm -hmm. And um, you said, yeah, but teleport these bounce effects, they're not really 10 times boosted. This is rarely going to come up. Well, just this week, my friend, <laughs> I uh, had a Huru deck, and I played Frost, or I attacked. My opponent blocked. I played Frost. Then I played Valiant Leap. And uh -huh. Guess how much damage I did? You did zero damage. I did zero damage. Okay. All commons from Argentport Depths. It's possible to screw this up with uh, very common cards. Well, you have you have proven me wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I hope that. that that was satisfying. <laughs> Um, that's something all right. to keep in mind, so, though, because it's a weird quirk uh, that I think really almost qualifies as a bug in a way. Yeah, it's a weird, weird timing rule. But I was—it was just funny because I had mentioned it. I was like, had just that's never going to happen episode, again. And then I did like <laughs> nearly the exact same thing with a different set of cards. So, so num number one tip for the draft championships. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna um, take a, a blocker out of combat so that your overwhelm unit can deal damage, make sure your your overwhelm unit uh, already has overwhelm. <laughs> yes, exactly. Not the other way. All right, shall we move on to our main topic? Uh, yeah. Was there no other takeaway from the seven win draft notes than Huru is good? And Praxis is worse. No, was was that not good? And Justice is still great. No, I guess it's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Nope, no, nothing else to add. Yeah, you know, the, the only other thing that um, I thought was kind of interesting is... I mean, I guess the things that su surprised me a little bit is that Stone Scar still is powerful because I felt like it lost a lot of its power from the draft packs, but it's still doing well. And I have also a theory about that. Okay. I'd love to hear it. The theory that I have is that Stone Scar has uh, quite a few cards that care about um, units having five strength mm -hmm. or higher. And I think that there are more of those now because the fire units in the draft packs are like there's a bunch of big beefy slow clunky units and yeah. stone scar is the one like combination that can really take advantage of that because you can yeah, really get I, back in the game with a with a well-placed dark fire um and that's the only way to play a dark fire and, and get the life back you know yes i agree i guess i just thought it would do worse because 
it feels like none of them, none of these five power guys are as good as Zealot, uh, Inferno Zealot was. Yeah, uh, but I guess you take away a bunch of the power of Inferno Zealot and it's still okay, you know? Because uh, it's still serving its its basic purpose of having it. Like, uh, the 5-3 Brawler with Overwhelm is still serving the basic purpose of having five strength so that Might Weaver makes it ridiculous and it gets a lot of health back with Darkfire and, like, it, it gains life with Spirit Weaver and all of that stuff that you want it to do. It still does that. It just doesn't do it quite as efficiently as Inferno Zealot. It's obviously not as good a card for that purpose, but it's still fine. Yeah. And then, I mean, I guess the, it, along the same lines, is we had sort of hypothesized that Xenon would be worse. And Xenon is doing um, slightly better. Though I think this is tempered by the fact that in, the, in Argent Depths, the first format, Xenon was one of our best performing decks, and then slowly we got fewer and fewer Xenon deck lists. Yeah, I think it's worse. I just, I mean, maybe it's not quite as much worse as I thought it might be, but it's still worse. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, though it's, it's a lot harder. Is, it's a lot harder to put the ambush deck together. And even when I've seen ambush uh, Xenon played against me, usually it's not real heavy on the ambush fast spell theme. Like it, it looks a little different somehow. It's yeah. just sort of some good Xenon cards, and wow. of course, and of course, a curtain call that wrecks me mid game. Yes, and then yeah, I guess uh, that's it. That's all I have. Okay. All right. So for our main topic, we just kind of wanted to do some quick hits, sort of following along in these the seven win deck list segment of just things to get ready for this draft championship and sort of talk about some of our thoughts on the format. So I wanted to start sort of with the, some brass tacks and just talk about the top five uncommons and top five commons to sort of lay the groundwork for what we're looking for and like what kind of will hopefully signal to us our open colors or like what we're hoping to open, pack one, pick one, if there's no good rare. So what are our our official top five uncommons list? Hats on lamps. Whew, I sure do love making official proclamations of how I rank things. But uh, uh, here's what I wrote down. First, top common is Siphoner Paladin. That's our one five for, for three justice. Well, I, justice. I asked for uncommons, but it's okay. Oh, oh I'm sorry. You asked for uncommons. Oh, well, I figured uncommon. they're more exciting. We should st- we sh- we shouldn't bury the lead. Okay, let's do uncommons. Uh, top uncommon is still for me Desert Alchemist. That's our two one with deadly and ambush for two time, um, and it has plunder uh, because time feels a little weak to me right now. Um, I'm not as enthusiastic about picking up an early Desert Alchemist as I used to be, but I still think it's a very powerful card for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that the it's you're going to have to deal with the powerful two drops in, in Fire and Justice still. Chain Whip Bludgeoner and um, uh, Flameheart Patrol... And uh, those are the units that tend to be able to attack in for as as three threes or, or even worse um, on turn three. 
And there's not a lot of ways to effectively counter them for uh, for two power. Uh, so Desert Alchemist is one of the few cards that can do that. A deadly unit is one of the one of the ways that you can block, for example, a chain whip bludgeoner with a uh, badge of honor on it, which is attacking you as like a five seven on turn three. Uh, and there's not a lot of ways you can deal with it. It's got Aegis. You can't even, like, Grizzly contest it or something. Uh, Desert Alchemist is one of the ways you can deal with that. Later in the game, it can deal with really large, like, um, re- really large units, like imbue units and that kind of thing. Uh, it can't deal with Flyers, obviously. It doesn't have Flying. Um, it's no Scorpion Wasp. But um, it, can do, it, it can deal with a lot of units that are almost impossible to deal with any other way. So it just has that versatility. And then because it has plunder, it helps smooth out your draws as well. So I think even though uh, time isn't in the position that it was in the last uh, in the last format before the switches, um, I think I'm still happy to see it. The other reason that it's sometimes clunky is that there are a lot of two-drop ramp units now between uh, between the two one in uh, the draft packs and uh, Alchemist or sorry uh, Apprentice Mage. Um, and uh, and the two two that that makes uh, five strength units cheaper. There's a lot of two things that you want to do on turn two other than uh, play a desert alchemist and plunder. Uh, but because desert alchemist really doesn't have to be played on turn two, it doesn't interfere with that stuff that much. So yeah. Uh, so it's still desert alchemist. Have I said enough about desert alchemist? We've talked about desert alchemist before. Yes, Should I go on to number two? <laughs> yeah, you can go on to number two. I... I'll do number two then. Yeah, no, Desert Alchemist is still good. Plus, I don't know, you can even splash for it. It's a removal spell. What what other cards are there in the game guys. even? There's no other cards. It's the Desert Alchemist format. Anyway, uh, another contender for number one really though is Greenstone Officer. That's the uh, two Justice, Justice, Justice. Um... 2-2 with lifesteal and imbue. Um, and then also you can pay 2 and exhaust it to imbue onto another unit if the first imbue target has been lost. Uh, Greenstone Officer sometimes is so big, depending on what you imbue it on, that it's impossible for your opponent to deal with and the lifesteal swing is is is, is huge. So um, I I've seen games that... Uh, could not be turned around by any other card, basically, be turned around by Greenstone Officer. Uh, it's one of the units... Uh, Imbue has the weakness where you can get rid of the original unit and then weaken the new one. Uh, and Greenstone Officer is the only card where that's not an effective strategy because it can just imbue onto something else. I've seen that come up quite a few times now because people have sort of started... Uh, I mean, not started, but they know how to play around Imbue now. They know that they can like kill... Uh, the imbued unit in the middle of combat and neuter the um, the the uh, the imbued unit. And I guess it doesn't count if it's in the middle of combat. They know that they can kill it and and uh, and and uh, and make the imbued unit smaller. And Greenstone Officer really counters that. It's impossible to deal with unless you can deal with the Greenstone Officer itself. When I yeah, see well, my unless, opponent, unless as you yes. said, we talked about this earlier. Unless yeah. you deal with it in combat, yeah, yeah, and that, that's a good way to do it. Uh, for sure. If I see my opponent has two greenstone officers, I feel like something has gone wrong in the draft because someone else should have taken one of those earlier. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a first or second pick card. 
uh, mm-hmm. not fourth or fifth like I sometimes see it. That's ridiculous. Get it together, people. Yeah, well, do you think... I actually don't pick these super highly because I, I just hate how swingy they are. I feel like half the time it's a Kodash Evangel for me. And then, you know, like, it can definitely... W- win games out of nowhere when all of a sudden on turn three you have a 5-5 life steal. But then other times, I don't know. I just don't like super swinging cards like that where... But maybe it's just I'm putting too much on Greenstone. I think, if you're, I think if you're counting it as a two-drop, then that's not the deck slot that it, it, it's supposed to be taking up. It's a late-game card that wins the game after you've already established a board presence. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I was never thinking of it as a two-drop, but even, like, on turn three, you know, you play your... Yeah. Clud, your, uh, whatchamacallit, chain whip bludgeoner, and then you And can then like... play the Greenstone Officer as a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, you probably win if you do that. It's swinging in that sense, for sure. Yeah, well, I guess that's where I've seen it at its best, is when my opponents do that, and then... And then, like, in that case, you can't kill a Chain Whip Bludgeoner, so you don't worry about getting blown out in combat because it has Aegis. Oh, yeah. It's like... Yeah, that's very strong. And I think... Uh, I, I I don't think of it as that swinging a card for the reason that um, if you are playing... in If you're playing, uh, like, a bunch of stuff like Chain Whip Bludgeoner and combat tricks and um, other ways to make your imbue units better, then mm-hmm. Greenstone Officer isn't your only imbue unit, you know? Like, you're playing Chain with Bludgeoner and also um, the Auric... Uh, what's the 1-1 one, one for 4 that has imbue? Uh, Auric thing? That yeah, anyway. Yeah, anyway, the thing, that, the thing with Surge... Um, like, you're also playing that because that's also going to be good with your Chain with Bludgeoner and whatever other things that get temporary bonuses, you know? Like... Um, I, I don't know. Like yeah, uh, it, maybe, it, yeah. Maybe ahead. I just think of it as a swingy, swingy card because uh, the few times I've played it, I haven't won, and then when my opponent plays it, they often win. Um, sure. I my experience with it is that it's almost always a really difficult card to deal with when my opponent plays it against me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of going off of that. I assume that they're building their deck correctly. <laughs> hey, well. <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. What? Harsh words. Um, oh, all right, so what's number it? three? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I never get to draft the stupid thing, so I don't know what it's like to play with it. <laughs> My third pick is Spirit Weaver, and this may be a controversial choice, but I think Spirit Weaver is a really, uh, is a really strong card. Um, that's the 1-3 for 2 Shadow. It has Plunder... And uh, any unit that has five strength or more um, uh, on your side, of course, has lifesteal. Uh, and this I, Spirit Weaver kind of—it's it, kind of great because it has plunder, and um, and it it can block early in the game. You know, its its stat line isn't irrelevant, but it lets you swing races. Uh, in what feels like a very unfair way most of the time. Because yeah. anything that has five strength uh, is already a force to be reckoned with, and the fact that it also gains you another turn of uh, turns worth of life while it's attacking means it's a lot of value in that large unit. Um, I don't think that you usually have to like warp your deck to have a lot of units that ping off of Spirit Weaver either. Um, you, all you have to do is give life steal to like one or two 
big units, um, and that's already enough to to win the game. And of course, the control that it gives over your deck with the plunder. Anything with plunder that really has an effect on the game is is probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this could have been Might Weaver too, because Might Weaver is also great. And we can talk about Might Weaver later. Um, but I think Might Weaver is a little bit narrower in what it does, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Spirit Weaver goes well in both an aggressive and a more controlling deck. Yeah, However, consider, you have to be um, wary of you have to be wary of the weakness of Shadow in in packs two and three. Whenever I talk about a Shadow card, but if you're going to be playing Shadow, like you're happy to see Spirit Weavers. Yeah, yeah, I consider Spirit Weaver, Might Weaver, and then our number four Oni Battle Driver sort of all kind of bunched together. Sure. Yeah, and I probably should have put Might Weaver on my list as well. I just sort of wanted to talk about other cards more. Might Weaver yeah, is... no, that's why I mention it in this yeah. sort of... Like, they're all very close in power level. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Oni Battle Driver. Oni Battle Driver is the four, pow- um, uh, four fire for a 3-3, three, three, and uh, its ability is once per turn you can pay two to give one of your units uh, overwhelm and strength equal to the number of units in play, and then you sacrifice that unit at the end of the turn. Uh, I love Battle Driver. It is a way to break board stalls. Um, Sometimes it's a way to just do a ton of damage out of nowhere. Uh, You can do some fairly tricky things with it if you can bring a unit back from the void after it's already gotten that bonus, because the bonus is permanent. It, the unit dies at the end of the turn, but then it keeps the extra strength and overwhelm. Yes. So if you can, like, false demise it, bring it back, then it just comes back as a huge overwhelm unit that does not die at the end of the turn. <laughs> um, and also, Oni Battle Driver, uh, maybe this won't apply in the draft championship, but Oni Battle Driver has the additional advantage uh, that people don't know how to play against it (laughs) you will often give the bonus to the unit and then attack with it and then your opponent will block with one of their units blocking hardly any damage and having their unit die killing a unit that was gonna die anyway so i don't know why that happens so often but sometimes it does (laughs) so it has the free people don't know how to play against it bonus (laughs) it's true you can't yeah. count on that in the draft championships. You're going to be against people who know what they're doing. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, we like Oni Battle Driver. Um, all right. And then you wanted to talk about Ancient Serpent. You kind of have this as number yeah. five. I do have it as number five, and I stand by that. Uh, it is a, a six primal, 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 three, four flyer. When it comes into play... Uh, you get a spell of your choice back from the void and put it in your hand. Um, I'll play any number of these if I'm in Primal because the amount of value that it generates is great. I love having my void uh, as a as a sort of a library of stuff to cast. If there's anything in your void that has that has revenge that's already been cast twice, you get to cast it again and get a card draw off of it. It's just great. Uh, having options is is what I like in my in my draft decks because I feel like that's how I leverage the sheer amount of time I've put into the game <laughs> is being able to make choices. Uh, so Ancient Serpent lets me do that, um, and also it is a pretty big flyer. You know, it's a little overpriced 
for if it were just a flyer, then I'd want it to be bigger than a three, four for six. Um, and it is a little bit hard to get the influence for it sometimes, uh, but it's more than worth it. So I, I'm still taking Ancient Serpents pretty high um, because Primal is good now. You know, it's very good in packs two and three. So perfectly happy to go into Primal in pack one, even if I'm not going to get a lot of commons there. Are there certain color pairs you want an Ancient Serpent in more than others? or Not particularly. I played it in Huru, and it's worked out fine. Um, you know, like getting back a free Valiant Leap uh, that's already been revenged from the void is 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 fine. <laughs> right. uh, getting back a polymorph off of your changey stick is great, you know. Uh, so it's great in Huru. Um, I guess those were both primal cards. No, Valiant Leap is a, a Huru card. Uh, it's I think it's at its very best in Felm because that's where you're trying to generate a massive amount of value from each card. Um, but I don't want to be stuck in film necessarily. Uh, it's also good in Skycrag because then you can get back, you know, you can get, get back removal. Um, you can, well, mostly removal, but Skycrag removal is, is pretty good. So that's what you're getting back. Uh, and then what's the other? Uh, I mean, Elysian is, is difficult, but if you're in Elysian, you're probably playing a slower game. Um, so getting back, getting getting value from your six drops is probably where you want to be. Yeah, it was really nice when you could get back Wisdom of the Elders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting back Wisdom is great. Um, just being able to get back Revenge, car uh, revenge Cards is probably my favorite thing about it, though, because you get that card draw and then a little bit of extra effect. Like getting mm -hmm. back a false, like bringing back a false demise or something ridiculous is, is amazing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And so one of the, th I think one of the defining features of this format is just how good the uncommons are. There's just it like, it really is. Yeah. All the uncommons we mentioned are just like really great cards. This is like in contrast to the top commons, which I think is kind of interesting because when you look at, the the top three on the top two or three uncommons really the top common you're like wow the commons in the set are really good but it's but that's like sort of the top common and then they fall off fairly quickly after that and so we did want to talk about sort of the type the top five commons and sort of what we're looking for and sort of talk about sort of that drop in quality. I don't I don't want to derail us, but did you want to talk about the the uncommons on your list that aren't on mine? Oh no, I was I was no. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I I do want to mention one thing about Might Weaver though, since we are sort of like preparing for the championship of this uh episode. Yeah. Might Weaver is uh is is a little bit like Spirit Weaver. It doesn't have um it doesn't have plunder, so it sort of doesn't give you the deck control that Spirit Weaver does. But Might Weaver is responsible for like some of the quickest kills I've seen in the format, um, and sort of the biggest kills out of nowhere. Uh, Might Weaver is the two-two for three fire uh, with that um, surge gives it plus one strength for the turn. Uh, but its main ability is that it gives double damage to any unit that you control with five or more power. Um, and part of that is that there are a lot of... It's pretty easy to come up with units that natively have five or more power. But another thing is that Rampage, 
the uh, the the combat trick that gives three one and uh, overwhelm is a ten times weighted uh, uh, common in the draft packs and Mightweaver plus Rampage is an easy way to just suddenly win a game with any unit, uh, yes. like an unblocked unit or even a blocked unit. Just suddenly you're doing a thousand damage with a Rampage and a Mightweaver on the board. It's just something to be aware of because if it's one of Fire's most powerful combinations that you can easily do. Battle Drivers also very good with Mightweaver because you're giving something a lot of power and then doing double damage and it's got overwhelm. So those kind of combinations are are what are going to win you games if you are in Fire because Fire is a slower faction now than it was at the beginning of the format. Um, Mightweaver is still a great card. Uh, just want to I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's how important it is to say that. <laughs> it's just no. I, like... <laughs> well, that kind of actually brings up a thing that I've been wondering a little bit. Is I don't know if this is like next leveling myself a little bit, but sort of like you were talking about how you've been seeing a lot of mono fire decks, and you're wondering if it's like people preparing for the draft championship, and that sort of being a level one you know, like sort of an easy to get into, easy to sort of understand deck. And I wonder if you kind of, if that's going to be true going forward and like people are really going to be looking to build these sort of cheese win decks a little bit because you know you're going up against a group of really, really good players. And, you know, one of the best you know, no matter how good you're, you are, if your opponent plays Mightweaver and Rampage on a reasonably sized unit, you might just lose because you could throw everything in front of it and it kills everything and still does damage. Uh, yeah, and I think it's a legit strategy. If you think you're going to be coming up against people that are going to win the long game against you, then uh, trying to make your deck as powerful as possible in the short game is a legitimate thing to try to do. Um, and then if you are going mono fire, Corrosive Dagger is still a massively overpowered card. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of good reasons to go into it. I don't think that it's a bad strategy. Um, but not everyone can go mono fire just because... Uh, if everyone is trying to draft mono fire, then sometimes it's going to be cut, and you can't really draft it if it's cut. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I don't even just mean mono fire, but I just mean like, like you know, Mike Weaver works just as well in Rakano. It works, yeah, you know, it works in Stone Scar. So you know, but just I wonder if the decks you're going to lean slightly more aggressive than the general draft format i don't know i think they will on the first day i think they will in the qualifiers uh, i think a yeah. lot of people are going to try to do that and i don't think that it's a bad strategy um mm -hmm. i don't think it's necessarily the best strategy i think there are some really powerful slower options still available um that will counter that strategy pretty well but if you can get that really aggressive deck together, you're going to get enough. Maybe you get enough free wins to qualify for day two. So I don't know. Okay. Let's go through our top commons. And then I do want to sort of dig deeper into what you think are some ways to combat sort of these aggressive strategies. Okay. Um, all right. So our top commons. 
Uh, uh, top comment is Siphoner Paladin. Uh, Siphoner Paladin is the 1 5 for 3 Justice Justice. And its summon ability is uh, you may sacrifice another unit you control to, uh, um, to summon a 3 3 relic weapon or give plus 3 plus 3 to a relic weapon that you already control. Uh, Cypher Paladin uh, feels pretty overpowered uh, to me. You do need to be playing enough 2 drops to be able to consistently summon it on 3 and be able to make a relic weapon. Um, but you don't have to massively warp your the kind of two drops you play in order to make Siphoner Paladin good. They can be any two drops at all, and it's still a, a huge upgrade to turn them into a 3-3 three, three relic weapon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No matter how bad your two drop is, it still makes a great 3-3 three, three weapon. Yeah, it does. And no matter how good it is, sometimes it's still right to just sacrifice it and make it a 3-3 three, three relic weapon. Chain with Bludgeoner is a great card, uh, but it's as a 3-3 three, three relic weapon, it still might be better. Um, and also, the other thing about uh, the other thing that makes Siphoner Paladin so powerful is that it cleanly gets rid of some of the biggest threats in the format, including Chainwit Bludgeoner, which is a two-two when it's defending, uh, Flameheart Patroller, which is a one-three when it's defending. Um, there, there's a lot of things that, like even Vorpal Cutter, which is a one-three when it's not attacking, uh, will reduce the Relic Weapon uh, to two power, but then it's still dead, and the Relic Weapon is still around. So uh, it's just a very good answer for a lot of stuff that would otherwise be a problem in the format. And then Cypher Paladin itself is an incredible blocker. It's a 1-5 for 3, which would be a reasonable thing to play as a common anyway. Um, and then it protects the Relic Weapon all by itself. It comes into play, you've got this Relic Weapon, maybe you kill a 1-3 with it, you're going to be able to kill something else with it, and, and your opponent can't attack back because you've got a 1-5 blocking now. So this is a real, real, real strong card. Mm-hmm. All right, and then number two? Number two for me, and I think a lot of people might disagree with me here, is Caravan Guard, which is, uh, we were talking about it before, it's a 3-5 for 3 justice, but it can't attack uh, unless you have a 5 justice. And uh, there's a reason why I have this as number two and why I draft it so highly is because of cards like Chain Whip, Bludgeoner, and Flame Heart Patrol. Um, it blocks them and survives. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's one of the few two drops or three drops that can cleanly block an attacking three three, and just not worry about it. Um, uh, if you want to play defense at all, Caravan Guard is sort of like the mainstay of your whole deck because that's how you put a stop to your opponent's aggression early on. Um, and it's not even bad in aggressive decks because you're still putting a whole lot of. Uh, of body onto the board uh, later you might be able to attack with it but because of imbue and because imbue um, is, a, is a perfectly good way to attack your opponent with auric official or uh, like greenstone officer or whatever um, the caravan the caravan guard is uh, a really efficient fantastic base for the imbue you're already starting with these uh massive stats for whatever you imbue on top of it so yeah oh for and, me that's why yeah and one of the other i think aspects of it that makes it so great in an aggressive deck is because there are a fair number of aggressive decks in this format and playing a caravan guard it's cheap and it means you've won the race because your opponents can no longer 
attack. <laughs> you know, yeah. your opponent's aggressive deck is now stopped, and you, as with your aggressive deck, can continue to attack. Yeah. If you're playing Huru, then you also uh, can eventually start attacking in the air, um, and that so like you don't even have to deal with the fact that you're in a board stall and if you're playing you know any other way of getting evasion then it's then it's helpful and most uh most decks that are aggressive will be able to evade with overwhelm or some other method um so yeah yeah it's just very overstated um and in a game that really comes down to uh, a fight between dueling integers <laughs> you know caravan guard wins that fight every time yeah. All right, and then number three, I'm gonna say chemical rounds, but this is where it starts getting a little hazy for me because the commons are are dramatically worse than the uncommons in this format. Uh, chemical rounds is the fire spell. Um, it does two damage for one fire, and it has decay. So whatever damage it deals is permanent, and also reduces the strength of the unit. Uh, also, chemical rounds can go face, so you can do the last two damage to your opponent if necessary. Um, yeah, I mean, chemical rounds is just efficient damage. I don't mind that it's not a fast spell because if you're like I, like we were saying earlier, most of the time you're going to use chemical rounds in a deck that's aggressive. It reduces caravan guard to a one three, so that your chain whip bludgeoner and flame heart patrol can still attack through it. Uh, so it's very effective at dealing with one of the best ways of, of stopping your aggressive deck. Um, and then there's certain cards that it's amazing against, such as uh, such as the 5-2 with Unblockable and Shadow that it completely destroys forever. <laughs> um, uh, it, it doesn't kill everything. It's still conditional removal, but unlike a lot of conditional removal, it always has an effect on whatever you're casting it on it may not kill it out right but it'll at least make it worse yeah that's what i like about it and like the fact that unlike a char uh which is the fast spell version that doesn't have decay you know i feel like chemical rounds does work better does work well in slower decks too because you know like for example we were talking about the uh, well, Chain Whip Bludgeoner is not a great example because it is Aegis, which yeah. is one of the problems with it. But, you know, um, you can have a Flame Heart Patrol, like a Flame Heart Patrol with um, a Badge of Honor on it is also attacking for quite a lot of damage. But then um, you can put, if you hit it with a Chemical Rounds, now your caravan guard can block it again. Sure. And you know, the like it helps you deal with some hard to deal with units in the early game, allowing you to survive then to your better late game, hopefully. Yeah, because if you're playing a slower deck, your early units probably aren't quite as high quality as your opponent's aggressive units. And so having a way to just sort of stop them from killing you. Um, early on is is fine because your unit yeah. curve isn't going to be as strong as your opponent, so you might as well have some cheap removal in there. Yeah, even if you're not killing the unit, you can neuter it with. Because uh, uh, yeah, what you need is time. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting because I would have put these three cards as like the cards you're okay with first picking. 
Um, uh, yeah, no, Chemical Rounds basically counts. I'm not usually, somehow I'm not usually excited to see a Chemical Rounds because I've, I've ended up in situations where I have too much cheap fire removal and then I don't have much of a deck beyond that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that does sort of uh, relate back to what we started the episode talking about. Um, but I do see Chemical Rounds going like five, fifth or sixth pick and i think that's probably wrong like yes. somebody should have picked that thing up at this point yeah um and then i think siphoner paladin is one of those cards where would you pick all of our top uncommons above a siphoner paladin yeah i would um i know there's people who would disagree with me but i as strong as siphoner paladin is um i've had too many situations where uh, it doesn't do enough, or it's not versatile enough, or it doesn't actually win the game. Mm-hmm. And all of the cards that I have put in my top uncommons are cards that are either very versatile and do a lot of different stuff, or they outright win the game. Uh, Greenstone Officer ends the game if you can't get rid of it fast enough. Oni Battle Driver ends the game. Ancient Serpent might as well end the game because of the amount of value that it generates. Siphoner Paladin is often extremely good at the very beginning of the game, but then rapidly loses um, its relevance later on. Um, and like, sort of like any 3-3 Relic weapon doesn't feel all that great late in the game, even that though that's when you can play them. <laughs> like They're not great. They're good, but they're not great. It just, it just deals three damage. Um, so... Uh, I, I think that if you want to set up a really strong early game in a Justice deck, you absolutely want to be playing Siphon or Paladin. But if you want that long-term, this is a card that is almost impossible to deal with, it's going to destroy you quality, then I'm still going to take Oni Battle Driver or Desert Alchemist or Greenstone Officer or Ancient Serpent above it. So that's how I feel about it. I know there are people who would definitely disagree with me because Siphon or Paladin seems so ridiculous when it's good. Uh, but uh, whatever I'm doing is working for me. Yeah. And then for number four and five, uh, we have Chain Whip Bludgeoner and Flameheart Patrol, which are very similar cards. Uh, they're super aggressive two drops that are really hard for most decks to deal with easily. Yeah. And Bludgeoner, uh, especially because it has Aegis, and so you're attacking as a 3-3... Three, three, um, with Aegis every time you surge is particularly difficult to deal with because it's harder to blow out, blow out combat tricks with your own kind of removal spell or whatever, uh, which is a little frustrating. But I, I know especially um, you, um, we were talking about this before the show, these are like not cards that you're excited to pick early. They're just sort of begrudgingly good cards. That's how I feel about them, because I'm not usually trying to draft a very aggressive deck in this format. They don't work for me. They work against me real well, but I don't uh, feel like aggro is really consistent enough for me for me to be going after it. Um, even my aggressive Huru decks don't do as well as my slower Huru decks. So I tend to start picking up Chain Whip Bludgeoners and Flameheart Patrols if I'm pretty sure I'm already in those factions and I know I'm going to need uh, basically pretty strong two drops. Uh, but I think of them as as functional 
rather than cards that I'm going to get excited about. I kind of felt differently about them at the beginning of the format. I was like, these seem so powerful. But after having a bunch of experience with them, I, they're so weak on defense that I don't pick them up early because they might not end up being good cards in my deck. <laughs> That's the only reason. Not to say that they, but I'm, but I do think that they deserve to be in the top commons because when you are in a very attacky sort of deck, uh, they they define the whole thing. Your opponent has to deal with an incoming three three or worse than that, and um, uh, it be and because uh, you're going to run into so sem- so many chain whip bludgeoners and flame heart patrols, um, planning around how to how to cope with that and. Um, like, uh, if you have them in your deck, planning on how to make them essentially unstoppable, you know, put a badge of honor on either one of them, and they're very difficult to deal with. Uh, that's going to be one of the main dynamics of the format for as long as it exists. So uh, you have to give them the respect they deserve. Yeah. Uh, a couple cards I wanted to call out um, that didn't make our list are Apprentice Mage. So that's the maybe the number one time common, and it's a good card. But you know, you are feeling like time isn't as good in this format. And the I think one of the things hurting Apprentice Mage is there's so much redundancy in the draft packs that it's just like not as important of a card. Yeah, when I draft time now and I'm like, oh, I've got a couple of apprentice paid mages, I can I can draft sort of a ramp deck. I will end up with too many ramp cards and not enough actual cards that do things. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it, it just doesn't feel quite as important to me. It's not that apprentice, there's anything wrong with apprentice mage. Um, it's just a terrible top deck, and you're you're basically playing a card that can't deal with your opponent's two drops because they're coming in as three threes. And also, you don't want it to die because it needs to stick around um, for you to be able to play your more expensive cards. It's just a tricky deck to balance the ramp deck. So um, I'm not as high on Apprentice Mage as, as I was back when it was easier to put together um, a powerful ramp deck. I think it's harder now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the next is sort of in the same vein as Chain Whip Bludgeoner and Flame Heart Patrol is Warple Cutter which is the three shadow, one, three with decay that gains attack equal to the highest attack of un- among units you control. Yeah. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. I think it's still good when you are attacking, but it's uh, not good as a defensive card. Again, it can't deal very well with an incoming three, three, <laughs> and it kind of needs to be able to. It's a three drop. So... Uh, uh, I mean, it always does that one decay damage, uh, and so the incoming Chain Whip Bludgeon or Flame Heart Patrol will be reduced to uh, an incoming 2-2 next time, but uh, that's that's a lot of investment that you put in. It really needs to be an attacker. I think of Warble Cutter now as a finisher that may not even get to attack until later in the game. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> It and, and because Shadow is worse now than it used to be, it's not the slam dunk that it was. It was so safe to take a Vorpal Cutter before the draft pack changes because you knew that you would be able to make a good Shadow deck. But now you've really got to have more going on in your Shadow deck uh, to even justify 
putting the vorpal cutter in. That said, when I play destruction in this format, which I do fairly often now, uh, that's time, shadow, fire. Uh, all of those cards have a fair amount of synergy with each other because of the, the five strength thing. Um, and Vorpal Cutter's fine there because when it attacks, it's going to be attacking as a 6-3 or better. Um, and it's not hard to get something down that will activate it uh, that way. Um, but also that can be blocked with anything with three strength. So it's just a tricky card. Uh, I'm just not as high as, on it as, as I was back when Stone Scar was super easy to draft. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the final card I wanted to ask about is Beseech the Throne. Yeah. Which which is the uh, two colorless card, and it's draw a card, then plunder. Yeah, and I I mean, we, we had this, you had this as your card of the week way back at the beginning of the format, because a lot of the best drafters in the game were saying that it's a fantastic card, and we, neither one of us really got it. I still am not high on Beseech. Uh, I do think I think that the best way to think about it is if you have a wide disparity in card quality in your deck, like you've got a lot of filler, but then you've got a few killer cards. Beseech is a way of digging uh, through your deck for your good cards um, because you are taking time out usually uh, to cast the Beseech, which means you're you're voluntarily going behind on tempo in order to increase sort of uh, the chances that you'll be able to play your best cards. So I think Beseech is is colorless, so, you know, it can kind of go in any deck. But I'm actively looking to cut my Beseeches if I have a sort of, like, a pretty good curve and a pretty solid deck overall, because I don't care what cards I draw. Um, I would rather just have a card that does something than a card that I have to spend two power on in order to draw to my next card. Um, But if I have a bunch of bombs and then a bunch of stuff that I'm playing just to buy time so I can play my bombs, then I definitely want to play my Beseeches because then I want to draw the stupid things. (laughs) and I want to draw the bombs that will win me the game. That's how I think of Beseech now. I'm definitely more excited about it if I'm in a slower deck uh, uh, if I'm in a fast deck, I just don't want to take my. I just don't want to use two power on hoping to draw something good. You know, um, I agree with you that Beseech is not in my top commons in the sense that it is not really a common I want to pick, like first, second, or third pick, even though it's colorless. Um, it's like a card that I'm often personally snap picking if i see them like six through 12 because um i feel like the drafters in front of me should have taken it and i'm just like glad to have one or two and i agree it's most often best in um, a slower deck which is also one of the reasons that even though it's colorless it's it's actually a little limited in what kind of decks you want to play with it but um, one thing I did, I played two Beseech the Thrones in this mono fire deck that I just had, which is a little weird. But it the, the deck had a lot of flaws, but actually the Beseech was kind of interesting in the deck because it's not never was something that I wanted to play on two. But because it's always a 
a besieged the throne is always a guaranteed power. Almost. Um, it's really helpful when you have a lot of aggressive, like chain whip bludgeoners and flame heart patrols to just like later on you draw, you draw it and then you can draw a card. It replaces itself. And then you can just like um, convert one of your, your crappy two, one for two charge guy into a power and then make all your actual good cards much better by surging. Because, um, you know, like, I feel like in this format, one of the weird things that happens is, like, you're in an aggressive deck, so you don't want to play a lot of power because you just want to play units. But then all of your units really want you to play power. And Beseech the Throne, you know, it costs you power to... You know, it's, it's expensive... But it allows you to like play less power, but also like have the power when you need it to surge your guys. I don't know. So I don't know if it's actually good in that deck, but it, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, in, I would still use. rather have an eager deputy in that deck because it's got plunder, and so it also can produce a sigil when you need it. Um, but all, I mean, it doesn't it. Yes, Beseech always produces a sigil because you're going to draw a card, and if it's a sigil, great, you play it as a sigil. And if you, if it's not a sigil, then great, you can make it a sigil. That's true, but I still would rather play something that actually just comes down as as board presence. Like I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's if I got surges, I got you thinking though. That's uh... yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I think Beseech is sort of nice because it's a safe pick because it's never completely unplayable. Yeah. Um, but if I'm playing an aggressive deck that's very dependent on Surge, I'm just going to look for ways to play more power in the deck than. And, uh, like, sometimes I'll play 19 power in a deck that's got a lot of, uh, like, Chain Whip Bludgeoners and Flame Heart Patrols, and I feel like that's correct. Um, because then I'll also have a few guys like Eager Deputy that um, that have plunder on them. So if I do draw too much power, then I can convert that to to to, to treasure troves. Yes, I would rather be in that situation than having than than having a besiege that where I, I like I don't know what I'm going to draw off of it, but I definitely have to pay two power to get there. Um, but I could be wrong. Like I know that uh, I know that I've underestimated plunder before, and maybe a card that is purely plunder, I'm still underestimating. But I, I would rather play Beseech. Like we had um, in our seven win breakdown before the draft changes, one of the top commons in the Feln deck was Beseech, and I don't think it's an accident that that was where it showed up because Feln is the slowest, most controlly deck where it was, and. Um, that was the one where you wanted the most card selection. So that was where Besiege was at its best. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It was just kind of... I hadn't it really is thought... interesting. Yeah. I had just thought it would be totally bad in the in an aggressive deck. And then... I, I mean, I didn't do well with the deck. But every time I played Besiege, I was like, oh, it's really helpful that I got to... Yeah, that this you got an turn into a power. 
I, I I think that it's a safe it's a safe early pick if you're not entirely sure what direction your deck is going because again never completely unplayable. Sometimes you end up in a situation, no matter how good of a drafter you are, where you've made a couple of wrong turns and you're you're going to be struggling a little bit to get enough really good playables at the end. And Beseech, at its very worst, draws you into your next possibly playable cards. So uh, I, do th- I don't think it's wrong to pick one up if you're uh, not excited about any of the other cards in your pack. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, I, my experience is that it hasn't been a necessary... It, my experience is that when my opponents play a Beseech, I haven't noticed that it leads to them winning against me any particularly often. And when I have it, I don't I don't feel like it gives me a huge amount of power over my deck, except in cases where I'm like really trying to draw through my powerful cards, like I was saying before. So that's my experience, but it's definitely um, you, there's definitely worse like factionless cards uh, in Eternal's past to put in your deck, like as a sort of a, a card that you can always play if you need to. Um, it's a nice thing to be able to pick up early in a draft because unlike, like we've had a lot of sort of two twos that don't do anything except provide influence in the past. And I would rather play Beseech over those because at least you're never top decking a 2-2. You're always top decking another card. If you top deck a Besiege, at least it becomes another card. (laughs) Whereas some of the other sort of colorless filler cards in Eternal's past um, are really bad as top decks. Uh, Besiege isn't that bad. Yeah. All right. So then there are sort of three final questions that I've that I have with the format that I kind of want to round this out, and then maybe you have some final thoughts. Probably not. I'm pretty out of steam. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, number one is sort of going back to what you were talking about, is what do you think is the best way to combat all of these Flame Heart Patrols and Chain Whip Bludgeoners that we're sure to be facing in the qualifying rounds? other than just taking care of Vanguard. Um, just be conscious that that's, that that's one of the main threats that you have to deal with. And so, like, ask yourself uh, if your early game plays can can handle that. Um, Answer it, you're, Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert. Not many cards can. Uh, it's one of the reasons that Siphon or Paladin and Caravan Guard are my top two picks is because they do deal with those, those two drops really well. Um, the other thing is that your plan can just be also good, you know? Like, if you have a strong ramp deck and you're playing bigger cards earlier in the game than your opponent is, that's uh, that's a pretty good plan. Um, having um, uh, If you're Huru, you can afford to take some damage at the beginning because you know you're going to be able to stun your opponent's army into submission later. That's That, that can be your plan. Um... Uh, yeah, and I found I've had a couple. I've been playing, like I mentioned, a, a few time decks, and you know that I, I have found stable sort of playing your two twos, which can't trade with those cards, but you take some damage, but then you can stabilize just by hopefully playing bigger things because eventually you'll play stuff that can block. Um, 
a chain whip black yeah. or, or one of the reasons I take Sage of Sands fairly high, which is just a basically just a five five for five with an occasionally relevant ability, is that it's a five five for five in a deck that can pro in, in a color that can probably ramp pretty effectively. So I'm going to be able to play it on turn four and stop the bleeding. Yes, and I agree. That is like it's funny you mentioned that because that was a card that came to mind. It's like whenever I was facing a fire deck, I was like, as long as I can play this 5-5 five, five before I die, I'll yeah. be okay. Yeah. Uh, and obviously there's, there's ways for in... your opponent to get around that, you know, like we yeah. keep talking about, you know, you stick a badge of honor on something and you're still in trouble, but... Yeah, yeah the... Um... The the one two for two time uh, with deadly was actually a really important card to have in the format back when it was boosted in the draft packs because it was a really it was a two cost counter to um, those aggressive two drops so taking it out was I think an outright mistake anyway we're dealing with the draft format that we have so I'm not going to complain even though I want to. Um, but uh, yeah, you want. I think you kind of want to either be the be the aggressive deck that is uh, that's that's playing strong justice and fire commons and then attacking with them, or or uh, just know whether or not the cards that whether or not your early game can actually deal with that kind of aggression because there uh, there's plenty of cards that can. Um, you just don't want to be playing a lot of two twos for two, and then just sort of hoping things go well because <laughs> they won't. <laughs> like that's the thing about the evangels right now. Um, they're all two twos for two that give you influence when you draw them, um, and you don't necessarily want to play them all the time uh, for this exact reason. But a zero five for two might be very very good because again for two power. It blocks a three, a, an attacking unit that has three strength. Um, it does it very efficiently. It's great that way. Um, I want. I had a seven win deck with. Uh, uh, let's see the the crocodile, the zero six mm-hmm. crocodile, sewer with, crocodile, with decay, the sewer crocodile, um, and it gain, it gets plus one strength whenever you play a, a card on your opponent's turn, I had almost no ways of activating that ability in the deck. But I got seven wins just because I was playing two zero sixes so they could block or my opponent's early aggression. They did a great job at that. I'm not sure I ever gave one a point of strength, but they kept me alive until I played my big, you know, destruction cards that would take over the game. That's the cut. If if you see a nesting raven, it's a zero four for one. That blocks a three three really well, and it does it for one power. Put that in your deck. <laughs> like it's a legit question with so many two drops able to attack for three damage. If you can stop that, then you are countering their card as effectively as any removal would. Yeah, I mean, obviously rampage puts a uh, makes it makes it a problem, but um, you know, like. You don't automatically get to win against your opponent just because you've thought about these things. <laughs> yeah. All right. And so actually this uh, your 7-1 duck leads into my next question is, you know, we, I think, think of this format as a, a two-color 
format or, you know, with some monocolor decks. But I know you've been having some success with three-color decks. And since the draft pack changes, I've been seeing a lot more three-color decks. And I kind of wanted to um, talk to you about it because I kind of just assumed it was sort of like a train wreck draft where you you weren't able to make a two-color deck. But I know you've been like purposefully playing three colors. Sometimes. I've been trying to experiment with it more, partly because I've been seeing people as opponents who seem to have put together good decks in three colors. Um, and partly because I just wasn't having success doing things the way I was before the draft changes. Like, I was just having uh, bad draft after bad draft, so I had to change something up. And then I've mostly been succeeding with with time, uh, time Fire Shadow in some combination because there's a lot of synergy there. Uh, but... Um, I guess part of it is you have to treat those uncommons that produce influence uh, as as genuine sources of influence. Uh, cards like Imprison, uh, which is a six power, um, let's see, it's a six shadow shadow spell. It set, um, uh, it makes your opponent sacrifice two units. It's pretty good actually. In a in a, it's it's ended up better than I thought it would because there's not very many decks that can generate a whole bunch of useless units to sacrifice to it but regardless of that when you cast it it makes either two fire influence or two primal influence um and there's a cycle of uncommons that do that uh uh and um there's the there's the fire one that makes a makes an exhausted five four and then it makes either shadow or time go ahead and treat those as actual influence <laughs> for your cards that you're splashing. I splashed a Severin, which requires two shadow. But since all of the cards that I had in that deck made two shadow, it didn't feel like it was a difficult splash. <laughs> you know, right. uh, That's part of what makes those uncommon strong, is they make splashes easier. There's not a lot of fixing still, but those cards are technically fixing. They're slow fixing, um, but if you build your deck so that you don't need to make your like sort of third faction cards come out early, that's fine. Um, that's one thing that you can do. Uh, another thing to do, another thing you can do is just in general, uh, if you're playing three factions, think of it as a two faction deck that eventually gets some uh, influence together to play some powerful cards in a third faction. So it is a splash rather than playing three straight factions. Um, I splashed a Hunting Allosaur successfully. It requires two time influence, but I figured, well, it doesn't matter if I play this thing early in the game, so I'll just play all of my other cards first, and then eventually I'll be able to play the Allosaur. It's fine. Um, and the reason why three faction might be better than just going two faction or mono is because the sheer drop in card quality in uh, packs two and three is so dramatic that you're probably going to increase your win percentage by taking good cards and trying to put them in your deck than taking outright bad cards and having more consistency. I think we reached that tipping point with the change in the draft packs because other than Justice and Primal, uh, your decks are going to be so much worse that it's it's often going to pay off to take some the few strong cards that you see in packs two and three 
and just find a way to play them. That might mean that the very little fixing that you do have access to, seats and so forth, uh, you should prioritize much more. And also, I think bows are better now. The ones that ping you for one and then get either um, either again uh, get a sigil in one of two uh, factions are, are are safer picks now. They weren't as necessary before because they're not great fixing, but because you're more likely to end up in a three faction deck now, I think the vows uh, are are better picks um, in pack one. Mm-hmm. And so are, are you like, w- let's like talk about a destruction deck, for example. So are you eschewing all the like disappear and all those quadruple influence cards when you're playing three factions? I'm picking them up much later than I was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think of them as much less safe picks now. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, however, you're, sorry, it, no, um, no, go ahead. Just yeah. to clarify, sorry. So what you're saying is before you even know you're in three factions, you just have lowered disappear in your general pick order. Yes, I think it's much less likely that I'll be able to play it. Um, that doesn't mean that I won't take a disappear, but I won't I won't think of that as committing to time because mm-hmm. I'm not because the the sacrifices that I have to make in card quality in general in order to play that disappear um probably aren't worth it anymore okay however if if i end up with a dominant time deck then i'm going to be glad that i have that disappear for sure uh and also this is i think this might be one of the big tips for if you're if you're playing in a draft championship uh and like this is the first time you've done a draft tournament and tried to take it really seriously uh really know your deck like what influence you're going to need to play everything in your deck because there's so many ways uh to sort of well there's one big way plunder to manipulate what power like what influence that you have out uh and and really knowing like this is what I'm going for in order to be able to play every card in your my deck because it might end up very complicated is is going to be super valuable <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's it's in a way kind of a beginner tip, but it's also something that you can forget when you're like, oh, how do I survive for the next couple of turns? Maybe uh, do your plunder manipulation of turning things into sigils so that you can eventually play all the cards in your deck. And that might be your best strategy early on is to set up for success later on. Uh, so know your deck. Yeah, if so, if, if you need to write down every card in your deck after you draft so you know what your outs are um, if you're in a tough uh, board situation. Yes, I think this is going to... Because I so often play on my phone, this is going to be one of the few situations is I'm going to have a screenshot of my deck on my phone and then play on my computer. That's a great tip, yeah. yeah. Um, All right, and then this kind of ties into this is I kind of just wanted to pick your brain on how to handle these draft packs. And and also, even before you get to the draft packs, like, what are we ideally navigating pack one? How are we navigating pack one so we can succeed in the draft packs? Like, are, are we looking to try to be like, you know, because in a lot of formats, it's like you you get your one faction in pack one, and then you figure out your second faction in pack two and three, 
and then you hope your first action is open again in pack four. And that has not felt as <laughs> successful in this no. current draft format. No, it definitely feels like you can get really cut off because if you, if, I mean, <laughs> There, there's a very real possibility that the packs that you get past in pack two and three will essentially be picked clean of any good cards. Um, and so you, uh, you can't sort of say, whoa, this, this faction is open in, in pack two. I guess I'll, I guess that's my second faction. Because uh, you just might, you might not, you might not get anything. Um, you're probably going to be in a situation where you're picking up filler in packs two and three, and then maybe spike a bomb or something uh, when you open a pack. Uh, and that's just the situation. Everybody is in the same situation to some degree. Um, so I don't have a good answer about that, except to see the potential in cards that aren't outright strong so that you don't end up just cold without enough playables. Um, the 6-4 for 6 in Shadow is fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not a good card. You're not excited about it, but it's fine. And if you have set up so that you get a lot of rewards for having units with 5 strength or more, uh, it's even better because it's still a big unit. Um uh, there, there's not a lot more to say about Shadow because really none of the boosted cards are good. But if you, but the the cards that are not boosted that are one times still exist. You can end up with reasonable cards. Um, it's just you're not going to see any specific ones, so you can't draft around a strategy that way. You are you you kind of have to be flexible and um, and and see what you get. But um, I, yeah, I guess, so, like, oh. no, I, 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 uh, no, I guess I don't really have anything to follow that up with. Like, there's a few corner cases. Like, I've had some success with like the touch, uh, you know, touch of touch of battle and touch of resilience uh, and touch of force. Like the the good touch cards because those are um, the for the for these draft packs, those are very high quality cards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can find crazy little applications for those cards. Uh, uh, it, yeah, just uh, like see the potential in cards that you otherwise wouldn't play. It's the only thing you can do in the draft packs of this week. Well, so like kind of in line with this three faction thing that we were just talking about. So is. Uh, is one strategy in the drop pack is to sort of longer than you normally would just keep picking the best card in them and then see if you can maybe figure out, um, you know, how to play it, even if it's not necessarily like in your two main factions or whatever. Because I feel like what can, you know, I don't know if this is a quirk of Eternal or something, but. Oftentimes in draft packs, you're like, okay, you know, primal is open, or, or like this happens a lot in Argent Depths. Is like, oh, you're like these, this color, these two colors are open, and then eighth pick, there's just like a random siphon or paladin in the pack, and you're yeah. like, well, justice isn't open, but this great card is here, and I yeah. feel like that kind of thing can happen in the draft packs where you're just like, 
I'm not in primal. Um, you know, in the draft packs, it's like time and justice are open. And so now I'm a Combre deck. And then all of a sudden, there's just like two changey sticks out of nowhere. And it doesn't mean primal's open. But, you know, if you're thinking of yourself as only a two-faction deck, you're like, well, I can't take the changey stick because I'm a Combre deck. But maybe we need to, like, expand it to take advantage of the few... the the few good cards that do exist in the draft pack and sort of at least we now have them in our pool. So we have like more options than to just like keep taking the really mediocre time and com break cards because it's quote unquote open. Yeah. I think that's correct. Really. Um, I think when you're talking about the difference in card quality as wide as, as this, then yeah, I think it's usually better to just take the good card. And then if you are able to, if you end up with a fixing where you can actually effectively splash, then then you get the payoff there because so much of the your deck is otherwise going to be filler. And it's fine to play a deck that has some cards that are filler as long as you have enough good cards. But um, you would rather be in a situation where you have overall better card quality and maybe slightly less consistency, I think, in 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 this format ideally of course you have good cards and consistency but i don't think that's easy to do anymore so yeah i'm i'm the other thing to keep in mind though is you have to be willing to abandon those picks like i've gotten very late siphoner paladins uh in 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 this format now where i've just sort of had to give up on them later because it turned out justice wasn't open it was just some stupid anomaly where no one was taking a siphoner paladin for the first eight picks and uh and you can't you can't let yourself be trapped in a faction that's completely cut off or two factions that's completely cut off i think one more one more helpful tip though because i'm a lot of what i'm saying is i'm kind of waffling back and forth because i again not an expert on this format i would love to be but uh i can only give you the best advice that i can come up with is that because uh you can you know that the draft packs are going to be weak but weak in specific ways you can kind of count on your second faction being like um just you know the uh if you're if if you if you go if you go in if you're done with the first pack and you and you're like well I got some cards that would go well if I had some big units to to finish off my opponent you've set yourself up to be able to take fire as a second faction probably because you'll get all those sort of big clunky units and that's your top end um, and those cards aren't something that you're looking forward to if you already have a bunch of expensive cards which can happen after the first pack but if you've got your if you've got a pretty strong early game, um, then you've set yourself up to be able to take those those big fire units as your later game. And that's a workable strategy. If you um, if you aren't heavily committed to two factions after the first pack, you can probably pick up Primal as your second faction because you're probably going to see a few good cards in Primal. That kind of thing. And also Justice will probably supply you with a couple of combat tricks and maybe a couple of reasonable filler units as your second faction. So I think you're still kind of okay going strong on uh, on one faction in the first pack. I think the biggest danger is going strong on two factions in the first pack 
because that's when you get cut off and are forced to go into three factions and then make your deck less consistent, even if you're not seeing good cards in the third faction because you just need enough playables. Yeah, I think that's my general advice. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So do you have any closing thoughts or should we end the show here? No, I mean, good luck in the draft championship if you're taking part in it. Um, I, I, I hope that there's a lot of participation so that um, Direwolf makes draft, uh, puts a little, puts more effort into more different kinds of, 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 uh, of ways for us to experience draft. I know there's a phantom draft for the, um, for the new, for the new set of cards, uh, the campaign cards mm-hmm. and that they've, never done that before where we get to draft campaign cards i think that's a really positive step even though it's sort of annoying that you don't get to keep the cards so your the rewards structure is all wonky but i like the fact that they're doing it anyway um i think phantom drafts are are fun uh yeah i also like the fact that this phantom draft is 2500 gold yeah instead of the Four thousand for the Scion draft. Yeah, it? that's that's clearly better. So um, yeah, I want them to do more of that kind of thing because again, I don't really like any of the other formats in Eternal other than draft. So the more variety they can put in draft is great for me. Um, and if a lot of people take part in the draft championship and they're and people are excited about it and overall generally have a good experience with it, even if they don't make good two, day two, like they, at least it feels competitive and fun then maybe they will do more draft tournaments instead of just having one in the entire history of Eternal. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And don't forget to take your survey. Yeah, don't forget to take the survey. There's going to be a lot of good data to analyze after this whole thing takes place. Yeah. All right, so I think we will end our show there um so thanks again to all our patrons um for making this show a success we really appreciate it you guys are awesome the show wouldn't be still be here without your support so thank you once again and a reminder to those who do not um support us financially that you can still give us five star ratings and reviews on itunes stitcher google play you can thumbs up all of uh, Raven Dragon's Reddit posts about the show. Um, we're currently tied for our latest episodes with the Misplay podcast, and that pains me deep, deep in my soul. Um, so if you guys could maybe do something about that, that'd be great. Um, and then don't forget to send all your 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Keep on farming. Good night.